0: The theme for the evening uh, talk is Process and Liberation. Some of you from uh, time to time may have engaged in uh, reading of uh, spiritual books. And there is a huge number of them out there in the uh, market and the, if you go into any uh, bookshop these days even the dreaded WH Smith you will probably uh, find a number of uh, uh, spiritual books there on the shelves and there is a growing public interest in the exploration or trying to find something more meaningful or spiritual in life and that is reflecting in the huge numbers of books that are uh, uh, available and one of the uh, archbishops of uh, England was complaining a few months ago why it is that people are reading all these books on the Buddhist tradition and on Eastern traditions and that when he goes into the bookshop these days, there in the bottom right hand corner is the Bible stuck and lost away, and nobody has much uh, interest in it. And he should ask himself that. So there's this wide profusion of uh, spiritual uh, uh, books which are available, and um, one of the uh, Vipassana teachers who is a uh, A good friend of uh, 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 Gaia House has just received for his next book a book advance, advance mind you, of more than $200,000. I'm not going to mention who it is, but I can tell you this, it's not a guiding teacher at Gaia House. (laughs) (laughs) And it's a statement of the... uh, Uh, interest and the reflection and the acknowledgement that's taking place in this case in the publishing uh, world of the uh, interest. And I uh, just sent an email uh, to the uh, uh, teacher with regard to this enormous advance and I said, my advances are approximately 1% (laughs) of what your advance is. And to his uh, credit, uh, he has given, um, he, that's halfway there already, he is, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I forget I said that, <laughs> he or she <laughs> uh, has given every uh, single cent of that advance to, uh, towards a new meditation center. So here's this wide variety of books and literature which is uh, available. And of the wide variety, as the publishers like to remind us who uh, who, uh, write books, that in the world of New Age and mysticism and Chinese philosophy and Vedanta and Advaita Vedanta and and, uh, Kabbalah and New Age, etc., Buddhist tradition is one which is attracting the most interest and part of the reason for that is that it genuinely has the capacity to offer real uh, practical guidelines, practices for daily life. It's not just short-lived experiences, momentary highs or inspirational, it can and does offer down-to-earth teachings and uh, practices suitable for the daily life and that's where the deep-rooted interest is and that's where the retreat centres and Dharma teachings are uh, flourishing internationally. Sometimes, in all of that, you may have read or heard of certain words and concepts like uh, the true self, the higher self, the highest self, the real uh, self and the tradition uh, buddhist tradition has felt a great deal of discomfort with this kind of language discomfort understand is one of those polite english understatements. and you know, although sometimes uh, there are some uh, 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 buddhist god knows why Uh, will use the language of the higher self, or the real self, or the true self, or the ultimate self, or whatever. And part of the reason for the discomfort with this kind of uh, language, it conveys uh, an impression that there is something which stays the same, which has its own self-existence, which is permanent which continues in an unchanging way through all of our experiences and then this gets called the real self or the true self or the uh, ultimate self and there is a body of spiritual uh, literature, the Vedanta tradition the most famous for it which does use this concept with a capital S quite uh, frequently Hmm. People can be free to use the language, of course, in the way that they would wish. But the question that one might have to ask oneself, so to speak, is who on earth is deciding all of this? Who on earth is saying this is the real self, this is the higher self, this is the lower self, this is the false self or the unreal self, and this is the real self? so confident that the mind can produce a view of a higher self and a lower self and be so convinced that one has got one and has got the other or is moving backwards and forwards between my higher self and my pathetic self and and self is deciding all of this in its own silly little way that it likes to and then sometimes we end up making a great philosophy out of it as as well. So the tradition has, perhaps wisely, perhaps appropriately and usefully, said to be watchful of the way we bring divisions and separatenesses into the self, and sometimes create this higher and lower self, etc. Rather than engaging in those machinations, in those kind of uh, viewpoints, it has taken, perhaps might be more useful, perhaps more more, uh, uh, skillful. When I say perhaps, of course, I mean actually it is, but I'm trying to be tolerant and it has taken a more uh, viewpoint towards seeing things more in terms of process rather than fixing oh this is the higher self and this is the lower self and one goes up and down between the two according to um, how one's feeling today instead of having that consolidated viewpoint rather to see things as process and it's uh, uh, rather encouraging that in the world of uh, psychose- psychotherapy which as far as the inner life goes is 100 years old and from Dharma teachings is really a new kid on the block and the long-standing tradition of two and a half thousand years has been saying with some consistency let's take an interest in the process of life which is unfolding let's take an interest, what is arising in the present, how it's revealing itself in the present, and what's uh, fading in the present, what's arising and perhaps re-arising, and therefore, rather than have views of real and unreal in terms of I, me and my, instead, take an interest in the unfolding process of uh, life and all the awareness that goes with it, which includes in that the strength that the sense of I, me, and my has in that process. Much more, I think, much more, may not sound it to you, but anyway, to me, it sounds much more simple, uh, much more practical, uh, less uh, abstract, and therefore, at times, we see, in the process that's going on, the varying that the feeling of I has at times in the process. Not saying higher and lower, true and untrue, false and real or whatever, but just recognising at times the sense of I. Sometimes has a strength to it and sometimes has much less and that awareness can reveal that. So it may be during the times uh, that you and the days that you've been here there is the uh, unfolding experience taking place in that unfolding experience sometimes the feeling of I has been strong to the point of being intense that may show itself uh, say with regard to a painful past experience Events have happened in a way that oneself could not anticipate, did not realise, was not prepared for, etc. Mm. Various people here, of course, over the days have been referring to direct experiences of this in your own life. And sometimes it appears, it appears, that everything that's going on is revolving around I. I in its funny behaviour tends to take everything very personally and therefore what actually reveals itself is all about I. So the I, the sense of I, the feeling of I arises in the process. It gets associated with all that it's going on. It gets trapped in all that's going on, embroiled in all that's going on so sometimes what is observed and noticed sometimes I in its, when it is strongest is the I which is suffering most strongest sense of I is, is the suffering I the sufferer all this is happening to me, why is this happening to me, why am I like feeling like this, this is always going on in my life, I never seem to be any different, etc. You know, the, the mantra of despair. So, the eye gets involved in the process of things humanly enough, it sticks like glue to it and therefore the states of mind and the sense of I or me, same thing, keep getting fused together, stuck together with all the views that arise about it. So sometimes we say, we look at our life, look into our field of existence, and we say, Oh, when the I seems to be strong, it seems to be suffering. me, 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 I, 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 my, my, my. Sometimes when we're attending to the uh, process uh, of things it's not so much suffering in that kind of heart way of feeling overwhelmed with conflict or confusion or self-criticism or self-blame or whatever it might be but it may show itself that I in another form or expression that has been referred to here and therefore there's an intensity that can go on with the eye particularly in its conceited form. So sometimes that giving gives the eye a slight feeling of pleasure, maybe showing itself as we dis- uh, explored the other day through uh, Comparing, showing itself through the uh, eye uh, inflating itself but sometimes it goes it goes the other way and one of the uh, pathetic forms that the eye takes and I use the word pathetic because well basically I think it is um, is Sometimes one sees in uh, religion, this is this is goes on uh, quite a lot, in which there is a strange s- sense of uh, alleged humility that takes place. So one form of the eye is inflating itself, conceit and um, arrogance, um, that uh, viewpoint of the need to elevate the self to be above, better greater than, more important than and and the self inflates it there's a certain pleasure in it but there's something as has been reported something quite unsatisfactory about it we feel the mind state is inflating itself and actually out of touch with others but there's a certain pleasure that can be gained from thinking that one is better than others But a certain pleasure, and this is where the religious side comes in frequently can also, by taking the polar opposite position and sometimes that shows itself where um, in in, uh, Buddhism it would be meeting some uh, whatever some famous lama or some uh, Zen master or well-known Acharya or Ajahn from one of the Theravada traditions or whatever and people like flies are dropping on their knees bowing and scraping and uh, all of that distraction to meaningful existence <laughs> and there's a certain pleasure in, in doing that and so, in this case, well, the the self, the I, is adopting this uh, picture of how great thou art, whoever that person that uh, may be, how useless and little and humble I uh, really am, and the elevation of one of others. This goes on a lot in Buddhism, and, uh, un- un- uh, unfortunately, and it goes on as well, of course, in other religions uh, as well and there's something in that kind of viewpoint or position which I think is actually undermining self-respect and it needs to be questioned and no one and, and I do sometimes and I, if I just put personally for a moment go to see the Ajahn, the Acharyas in the Theravada tradition or or, or Lama or whatever there may be the uh, the ritual of those of you who know, you bow down three times, head to the ground, uh, etc. But those of us who have been monks for years, I may may say, have little uh, understanding of these things, simply regard it as a handshake from a distance. And that's all all, all that it is. And just uh, uh, a few days ago, the teachers, the Buddhist uh, Western uh, teachers and Asian teachers are having a meeting in June at Spirit Rock, our uh, sister centre to Guy House on the West Coast, uh, just outside San Francisco. And so there'll be a couple of hundred uh, Dharma teachers uh, there. And one of those who will come will be the Dalai Lama and I'm sure plenty of you here like myself have have much love and uh, uh, affection for the good man with a rather difficult role of political and uh, religious uh, uh, leader, etc. So, I received uh, an email uh, uh, there from the uh, organisers there and I sent a a point of interest uh, uh, back was um, is is the good man, i.e. the Dalai Lama once again going to be sitting on a high throne like some, I, I said, like some figure out of a medieval opera? And... That came the message, bluntly, yes! <laughs> and then to rationalise this pathetic stance of the people organisers uh, over there, uh, uh, over there and we can send them the tape, I don't mind to the Dalai Lama, I mean and and that came, well, it's in order that he can be seen. When I got this, uh, email to, oh, God, it goes from bad to worse. <laughs> what are they going to see? A head on shoulders, a body sitting cross legged and smiling from time to time like the rest of us is is this such an extraordinary unique visual experience for everybody man will be wearing clothes like the rest of us so i sent back a email even though i know it's absolutely hopeless with human beings saying surely the good man is coming there and it doesn't matter all whether we see him let's all you want to do is hear what he has to say like the rest of us so this elevation of the self becomes uh, the issue which we do with ourselves or sometimes we do it through the elevation of other therefore correspondingly lowering uh, a deeper understanding and connection with ourselves. And as uh, uh, the, the Buddha, one of my uh, much-loved things that he said, I, he says, the Buddha says, I who am subject to birth, ageing, pain and death, look around and see that others are also subject to birth, ageing, pain and death. Why would I want to worship that? which is subject to the same conditions as I am. And that kind of directness of, uh, of uh, uh, viewpoint in helping us and contributing to being able to see through clearly these elevations and hi- hiring and lowering and increasing and putting down the self can we see things in a completely different way, have genuine trust in seeing that and seeing much more, as I said, and as the teachings keep reminding us, of the process of things which is unfolding. Therefore, seeing beyond the appearances and seeing a human being as body, feelings, uh, perceptions, thoughts, states of mind, consciousness, without exception actually seeing that, being very, very clear about that, and not being deceived or deluding oneself in any way whatsoever, that there is anything more than that going on for a human being. We learn to see clearly. And that isn't an easy task, through uh, living in this kind of uh, madness of celebrity culture and the creation of uh, celebrities. It's all so incredibly immature. People are people. And doing what we're doing in the whole process uh, of, of uh, life and the tendency is that when, when we keep elevating certain human beings into mega-states, unfortunately and rather sadly, it tends to be at the expense of those who become second, third-class citizens, marginalised people in the world because we're concentrating on the self in that celebrity way. So awareness and exploration is having the willingness to cut through all of that, helping to see us all, without any exception, as human beings living our life as best we can, endeavouring to find awareness and, and insight into a process which is unfolding and therefore to see what the self makes of itself and to see what the self makes of other self. What do we make of it? If we stop making of it, then the sense and the relationship will be different, profoundly different At times, in attending to the process and in the inner life that's uh, going on there is the bare actuality that I just referred to body, feelings, perceptions, thoughts, consciousness there are the various experiences that take place. There are the various uh, views of uh, others uh, that takes place. And from the standpoint of wisdom and, uh, and exploration, we want to be extraordinarily aware, but easy, obviously. What do we make of ourselves? What are we making of others? And our thoughts, and our feelings, and our views, and our uh, beliefs keep making something of. And we get very attached and identified with what we make of something. And in the building, through that process that goes on, in the building of we keep making something of, we make something to matter, we make it important through the repetition of keep doing that we seem to get further and further out of contact and out of touch with the bare event because we're making so much of something and that does tie us in and it imprisons us and we're saying let's cut this as much as possible sometimes in the process of things there's um, uh, insight that arises that uh, insight or uh, insights may be for some regarded as a turning point, or as a major point. You may uh, look back and reflect on your life and recall periods in your life which were very, very important to you. Sometimes, as was referred to in the group today, people, uh, uh, sometimes in the tradition, people get the idea, especially Buddhist tradition here, that in the contemplative life, in the meditative life the two wings of it, the calm and insight and sometimes people get the idea that in the process of things one's got to develop very deep calm very deep concentration and then with deep calm and with deep concentration from that will arise insight Unfortunately, this uh, kind of viewpoint is uh, expressed uh, quite a lot and then that can inhibit the opportunity for some genuine insight because one keeps having the viewpoint I haven't got enough calmness I haven't got enough samadhi it means uh, depth of meditative concentration and therefore I can't have any insight Buddha's taken a quite different uh, view from what the tradition has said fortunately the tradition often Uh, gets uh, somewhat removed uh, from these uh, insights. So the Buddha has spoken of four kinds of people. There are those with calm, or calm but don't have much insight. And sometimes, of course, in this world we do meet people, very calm, some lovely calm people, and have a great insight uh, into things that just have calmness. So there are people with calmness but not much insight. There are people with uh, insight but lacking in calmness. Third kind of people, there are people with both calm and insight. And then of course there's the fourth category. And and everybody says, oh yeah, that's mine. (laughs) There are people who have no calmness and no insight. So in the four types of uh, people that are uh, living uh, in this world, in the, in the process of, of, of things, calm and insight have a mutually supportive and a very beneficial role. Sometimes, as I said, there's a turning point and there's a point where there's some uh, insight which arises. That uh, insight may have the capacity and the power for us to make a real change. Sometimes we want the event, this is important here, we want the event and the realisation, as it were, to take place simultaneously. Life doesn't work according to plan. What I mean by that is, maybe an important experience, following on from the poor experience, one, unfortunately, begins to think about it. And gradually, as the thinking extends itself more and more and more, it might be building itself up, it might be bleeding the poor experience to death, or whatever, trying to milk it for everything that one can get out of it. And when one does that, The secondary aspect, that means not the experience, not the insight, but what follows on from it, gradually overshadows the original experience. (laughs) The effect of which, the original experience that one had, one begins to doubt it. So there's the original experience, then the habit of the mind comes in and grasps onto it, Begins to milk it means keeps going on and on about it, to oneself, to uh, poor old teachers to the bore them out of their existence, and uh, uh, others. And the continuity uh, of it. Event- eventually, one has got terribly far removed from the original experience, original experience, and what one is left with is a long trail of thoughts about. So experiences which are regarded as turning points do matter, but it does require, may require some reflection, yes, but to be very watchful that we don't water it down through the excesses of thinking and speculating about. I say sometimes it, things don't work according to the way they should, or the way one thinks they should. What I mean by that is there can be an experience which takes place that experience can be that kind of experience right bang in the moment a central point or the experience can have be a general rather than a particular the experience could be a week in Gaia House example a week of meditation it can have a broad sense of experience either is equally valid the point is that it may be for some days or weeks or months later, or even longer that one recognises it was a turning point the mind which doesn't really know too much about anything that is going on in life, and one should never forget this, so we all have a little humility may have experience, like the the Moment experience, or like the Buddha said, his experience took place under the tree that night uh, in Gaya, and then after that, he spent seven weeks there, some uh, reflection and how to express all of this, and then he went from Budhagaya and made a 200 kilometer walk to Sarnath and, beca- and gave his first talk there. And anybody who's been to Gaya. To and spent any time there will know perfectly well why he didn't start teaching there and preferred to make a long walk to go somewhere else. But you have to go to Bodhgaya to see why. So, he says, ah, his primary experience took place under the tree. He reflected on it. He explored the Dharma. How could he make teaching practical for others? In a rather similar way, maybe less uh, dramatic but nevertheless a similar kind of way, this experience which is taking place in the present moment, in the present period of time one may say in the present period of time, I don't know if this is important I don't know whether this silence, this sitting walking, standing in the process of my existence has any real significance any genuine relevance to my life and one may not know as the fact and some and we certainly have enough uh, correspondence and uh, um, the uh, feedback uh, in, over many years of this where a person reports it's later on that he or she Realizes the impact of a certain kind of experience and the beneficial outflows of it. The mind cannot always know in the moment. Sometimes, in the process of the unfolding life, experience is taking place. One says to oneself, "I've really seen something clearly. I've really been touched in a certain way. I've really..." Discovered something, I've really uncovered something, re- something has really opened up, or whatever language that one might use. And at the time, in the moment, it genuinely feels to be like that. And one may be quite convinced in the unfolding process of things that that experience is going to have a lifelong benefit there can be conviction there can be uh, a conviction without a lot of thinking but sometimes even with the conviction doesn't mean to say it's a fact life is extraordinary the mind sometimes says this isn't important it this has no effect this isn't influential and it deeply and profoundly is. And sometimes the mind says, this is a real mind-blower of an experience, and this is the most incredible thing that's ever happened to me in my entire life, etc. And one just carries on, just as before, and hasn't made a scrap of difference. It's a strange thing, the mind, in its convictions and in its certainties, that it's knowing all the time what's going on it doesn't it just doesn't and that therefore, hopefully, with us there's a little humility left in our life not much, but hopefully a little humility left in our life and that we explore the field of experience as we are doing here we see it as an unfolding process which is taking place and we acknowledge firmly and clearly that the view about what is unfolding is the view about it. That's all. Therefore, from the standpoint of the mind, that means the viewpoint, there's some base around it, there's some flexibility. Even this viewpoint is not an objective viewpoint. It is not a transcendent, ultimate viewpoint. It's a viewpoint emerging out of what? Out of the unfolding process of things. So we're not saying Oh, my view of what's happening is the absolute way that it is. There is no detached observer on this earth. It is not humanly possible. So we give up ultimate viewpoint, we give up the detached observer, etc., but acknowledge in the unfolding process of life the view and the experiences are just unfolding. Can we accommodate it? If we can accommodate it, we've accommodated life. If we really, genuinely accommodate it, we are liberated. It's that significant. We are free. We understand and can embrace and can accommodate that relationship of experiences and the view and acknowledge both well and clearly and see them for what they are just a view just an experience whatever form it may take and be truly clear about it truly clear about it that clarity about it is enlightening and it is simultaneously liberating one just sees life is unfolding itself view is a view thought is a thought a feeling is a feeling, a perception is a perception none of it is a problem of itself therefore the teaching of the process of life unfolding technical language, the process of dependent arising is a way for us as human beings to really genuinely know from one day to the next, a real freedom, a true liberation in the unfolding process of life. A beautiful thing. Beautiful. Why? Because one knows the view, the view of feelings are feelings, experiences are experiences, and they're just going their own sweet way. In that exploration, and in the taking of interest a supportive factor uh, for all all of that is, as we have touched upon uh, various ways just recognising sometimes that there's a kind of sequence of things that take place and therefore learning to track ourselves can help what I mean by that is at times, in our uh, observation, we say, "Oh, here is a, a contact with a situation which is ma- which matters to us, which we have made to matter, and perhaps from that, a pleasant feeling arises, or an unpleasant feeling arises, and then with." that pleasant or unpleasant feeling or somewhere in between we then begin to make something of it and then the self comes in. Can we be as attentive and as interested and uh, uh, connected as possible to see this is what goes on? We make a contact, pleasant or unpleasant, or somewhere in between, the feeling arises, and from the feeling arises, we begin to make something of it, and it becomes more and more to matter through the way we think about it and the way we view about it. And we take an interest every time that feature of the process begins to start itself up and we don't give it great authority we see that it's just a movement that's going uh, uh, on we see that the eye is arising with it uh, as, as well and in that, that seeing helping to accommodate sometimes we have the old pattern comes in and when it's difficult When something in that process is unwelcome and unwanted and unsatisfactory going on, and therefore there is some tension being felt in the body, in the mind, in the feeling, one common reaction that enters into the process is the desire to get rid of. Oh, this is. The equivalent is. Having a big bonfire and saying, I want to put this bonfire out by putting some more dry wood on it. That is the precise parallel. So there could be tension that is going on with ourselves. And I said, I want to get rid of this. The very wanting adds to the tension. And when one can't get rid of it, the wanting can get stronger and it becomes more tense. We do not realise and see how wanting to get rid of actually works against the deeper interest. Therefore, when there's some difficult experience which is arising in heart, mind or body, Are we placing extra pressure on ourselves in that process to try to get rid of? The possibility and probability is we've been doing it for years that way. And the proof that it doesn't work is because it still keeps arising because when something is difficult we want to get rid of it and we've tried it for years and we might push it back somewhere in the mind and not too long later a few similar conditions and it says, I'm back I'm back and sometimes it says I'm back with a vengeance (laughs) So the event which is unfolding is there but the relationship to that in the process matters a great deal we're feeling angry, can I accommodate this anger? We're feeling confused, can I accommodate this confusion? Feeling this tension, can I embrace this tension? Feeling a difficulty, can I live with this? Feeling some hardship in our life, can I stay with this as though it won't go away? Sometimes, the shift away from the old way of looking to a fresh way of looking can change the whole view. And our practices and our, uh, and our awarenesses do require from us a creativity, do require from us an investigation and an asking of oneself how is this going, what is a fresh way of working, uh, with this is a recognition that it's an unfolding uh, uh, process that's uh, going on and most in fact most important of all in all of this that if we can see the unfoldment of unfoldment of life in its own extraordinary and mystical and mysterious uh, way of expression we'll take the problem out of it we'll see feel a freedom, a liberation in the midst of the feelings arising, the perceptions arising, the thoughts arising the memories arising the future concerns arising the connectedness with the here and now arising and we won't feel that any of it is an obstruction in any way whatsoever to a liberated life and the teaching keep reminding us of that keep pointing us to that. May all beings live with awareness. May all beings be in touch with the unfolding process of existence. May all beings live a free and joy-filled life.